You are listening to a podcast from Classic City Church. We're glad you've joined us. Our services are held at 10.30 a.m. on Sunday mornings at 595 Prince Avenue in the Piedmont Sanctuary. For more information, please visit www.classiccity.org. This is a sermon from Pastor Lee Mason. We are wrapping up our series on the book of Philippians, and we're starting chapter four. Let me again just reiterate what we've said most weeks, give you a little background, a little context, because I think it really helped, particularly this week, to understand what Paul's saying in this passage. Uh, Paul, when he wrote this, was in a jail in Rome, and he had, while there, the Philippian church had sent a one of their leaders, a guy named Epaphroditus, to him with a very large financial gift. Back in those days, if you were a prisoner, a Roman prisoner, you didn't get fed. Someone from the outside had to feed you. So Epaphroditus brought this gift. Actually, Rome, it was 700 miles from Philippi. It was quite a distance. And during the trip, the guy who was bringing the gift, the lead guy, got very sick. Epaphroditus really almost died in the journey on the way. And so he delivered this to Paul. Paul received the gift. He, with Timothy, wrote a letter back to them. And this is the letter we have. Uh, It was a response to a very generous financial gift. And so Paul's going to really elaborate on that. As we get into verse 10, he says this, I greatly rejoice in the Lord that you have at last renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned but had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need For I have learned to be content in whatever circumstance. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or living in want. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Now, what Paul is saying here in this verse is is a... He makes a point that he's going to drive all through this closing passage, and it really was a big point to the whole letter. And and what he's saying is he starts out there, he says, man, I'm greatly rejoicing. I am so overwhelmed with joy and exuberance. But he tells them why. It's not because I now have money. I now have a resource. I now have gifts. I can now buy food for me and for all these prisoners I've been reaching out to with the gospel. It's not the money. It's not the resource. It's not the gift I'm excited about. What I'm excited about is what it says about you. I am excited about your heart. I am excited about your love for me. I am excited about your concern. That means more to me than any amount of money ever could. And he drives this thought all through this passage. In fact, as he elaborates it, he says, you know, look, uh, I'm fine. I'm content. I've learned the secret to being able to handle anything that comes my way. And it's just to be content. You know, there was an ancient Puritan book written that uh, was titled The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. What a beautiful thing it is to be content, to just be not in want, to be able to just be happy with what you have. The Proverbs chapter 30, verse 8 and 9, the writer of Proverbs said, you know, Lord, don't make me so rich that I forget you and think I have no need of you. 
but don't make me so poor that I dishonor you because I have to steal and do underhanded things to get money. Let me be content with what I have. You know, for me, contentment is a surrounds right now a church facility. I really want a church facility real bad. This has been just an interesting journey for me as a minister. You know, when I was here in Athens years ago, my wife Lisa and I had a college ministry called Bulldog Christian Fellowship. And to have a room to meet in, we would need to meet, we would, I would gather out front before the Tate Center. We would get there two hours early at five, six in the morning. We'd get there before anybody else like concert tickets. And if I got there first, I could reserve the room I wanted for the, uh, you know, upcoming quarter. And we always got the room we wanted because I would get there extremely early. And that's kind of how we did it. And we were just content to have a room. After I was a campus minister here, I went into Atlanta and worked at a huge church there that was literally finishing up an elaborate 3,000 seat sanctuary that when it was completed was the most expensive building in the city of Atlanta per square foot. They're very proud of that. I was there. We had all kinds of facilities. We had everything we could ever want financially. It was a wonderful place to work in a great church, and I loved it. We literally had a 2,000 parking space parking deck. I parked in a parking deck every day. When you went to church, wind, rain, sleet, flood or mud, you parked in a parking deck. That's what we had there. And it was a great thing. Then I came here to Athens. And once again, we were back in an elementary school cafeteria, struggling along. And we've had a battle to, to always find a place that would fit us and we could, we could meet in the right meeting place. But God has always met our needs every single time. Paul says, I am content. Whatever happens, if I got a lot, if I'm in a great place, great facility, and everything is just laid out for me, that's great. If I have to struggle to find a place to meet, that's fine too, because I've learned something. What really makes this work is not what's around me. It's not the circumstances I find myself in. It's not what's going on or what, what sort of outer resources I have. There is an inner resource that I've discovered. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Paul discovered Christ's enabling, empowering presence within him. Philippians chapter 2, verse 13, he talked about this. God is in us to will and to work his own good pleasure. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, Paul described it as a treasure in our earthen vessel, the indwelling, surpassing greatness of God's power. Every one of us who knows Christ, every one of us who has received Jesus Christ as Lord has the empowering, dynamic presence of the Holy Spirit within us. And regardless of what's going on around us, there is more within us than is coming against us from the external. Paul said, I've learned. I'm content. Whatever may happen, this dynamic is what gets me through life, the internal, indwelling, powerful presence of Christ. And that's all I need. So he goes on here in verse 14. 
And he begins to elaborate in, in, in several of in this next stretch of passages, he begins to talk about their gift and what it was like and, and the significance of it. And he uses a lot of financial terms that were very contemporary to that culture. Actually, he uses four of them. So let's keep reading here. Verse 14, he said, yet it was good for you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I sent for, out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving, receiving, except you only. For even then I went to Thessalonica, which was about 95 miles from Philippi. You sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire more is what's credited to your account. I have received full payment. I have more than enough. I am amply surprised now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. Now he uses four financial words to sort of help us understand the, the spiritual dynamics of giving financially. One in verse 14, he talks about how they shared with him. It's a word he had used earlier in this letter. And it's a word for business partners. He says, you know, you become like a business partner in me and my struggles. You're an investor. You are somebody who is helping me out in getting this done. And he called him sort of a business partner there. And he goes on there and he talks uh, later in verse um, 15 about something he calls the matter of giving and receiving. Now, in that day, that was a very common phrase, the matter of giving and receiving. And it was sort of the bracket that held together their social uh, relations and their social norms. And what it meant basically is in that culture, there was this exchange you had with friends where you would give to them and you'd receive back to them. It was called giving and receiving. Elizabeth, before our recording today, was telling us of a story of a friend of hers. Uh, she and her husband, Josh, have masks now, and I don't mean, you know what I mean by mask, surgical masks that are kind of cool to help protect them and during this virus. And we were asking, where'd you buy those? And they go, oh, I didn't buy them. I had our neighbor made them for me and I cooked them dinner. That's giving and receiving. You get a mask, you give them a dinner. And in this idea, it was very incumbent on you to try to out give the other person to do a little more than they did for you to bless them back. My wife, whenever she gets something from anybody, wants to go buy something to bless them. I have been drugged to TJ Maxx countless times because she wanted to bless back somebody that gave to her. This is the dynamic he's talking about, giving and receiving. You make a surgical mask. I want to make you a meal. And it's just this kind of thing. And he wants us to see giving in our relationship with God in this light of a back and forth exchange. God's giving into us. He's pouring into us and we're giving back to him. If you go on here in verse 17, he talks about, uh, I don't desire the gift, but I desire that which is credited to your account. And what Paul's saying here is, look, I don't want the money. You know what I really want? I want what is going to be a great blessing to you in eternity. I want to see you blessed on the other side of this. You know, there's something we all hopefully have called an IRA. It's an individual retirement account. And we want to see you put money in your individual retirement account. But you know what Paul's saying? There's something a lot more important, a lot more important than your IRA. It's your IEA. 
your individual eternity account. Investing in eternity. You know, there are board chair, Lee Davis, I used to tease with him all the time. I would tell him, hey, this church is going to get you beachfront property in heaven. That's what I want to do. I'm thinking, I want to get you beachfront property in heaven. I want to do something significant here that you're investing in that's going to really matter. And this is kind of the idea Paul's giving to them. Hey, you're investing in eternity. You're, this is going to be credited to your account. That was a common word uh, called uh, plethro back in those days. It just was talked about uh, those kind of investments. And he's saying, you're accruing interest. Literally, that's what it means. You're accruing benefit uh, by doing this. And he encouraged them to invest. Could you imagine what it would have been like to have invested in Paul's ministry? If you had sown money into the ministry of the Apostle Paul, I think you would be fine in heaven. This is what he's trying to communicate here. And he says, this is what I'm after. I'm not after your money. I'm after the blessing you're going to receive on the other side here. And in verse 18, he talks about receiving the full payment. Again, another business term, which meant everything was paid, nothing needed to be taken care of. And he just says, hey, you've done plenty. Don't give me any more. I'm amply supplied. You've done enough. Man, I am so thankful. Don't, don't, don't give to somebody else. And then he says something very powerful here. He goes from describing their gift by four commercial idioms, four financial business idioms. And then he goes in the last part of verse 18, he talks about their gift being a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. Now, this is from the Old Testament. Back in the Old Testament days, when you gave a gift, oftentimes they didn't give money, they gave animals, they gave livestock. They would give 10% of their goats, 10% of their cows, 10% of their whatever. And the priests were basically butchers. I'm glad the job has evolved. But they were basically, they would take the meat and the offering, they'd inspect it. They'd cut the animal up and they'd take the meat and they would either store the meat, they'd sell the meat, or they would eat the meat. And then they would take the remains of the animal. The, I don't want to be too graphic here. Just the remains of the animal. And they would combine it with spices and they would burn it. And it was a great, great smell. It was a great, great smell. People would come around and smell the spices and the burning of the, the, the fats of, of the animal. It just smelled great. And it was a great smell. And it was to communicate to them that their giving pleased God like that smell did. And Paul's using this reference. He's going, listen, let me tell you something. Your heart not only touches me, your heart touches God. It's not the money. It is not the gift. Uh, it, that does not affect things at all. It is the heart behind it. It is the generosity behind it. It touches the individual, and it touches God. And he's saying, this is what we want to embrace in our giving. And then in verse 19, he just closes with this very famous passage. And my God will meet all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus to God the Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. What does he say there? God's going to meet all your needs according to your riches and glory by Christ Jesus. God is going to overwhelm you with the way he gives back to you on the other side of this. And he is going to meet every one of your needs here in this life. Every one of them are going to be met in Christ Jesus. 
This is what it means to be a giver. The heart of a giver. To have that kind of heart that wants to bless, that wants to give back to the one we've received from. There's nothing, I believe, more powerful and more significant and more important that should just fill the soul of a follower of Jesus in generosity. You know, before this crisis came, I remember our last church service. I was telling you the story, and I want to tell it again, of, of Cyprian. It's a powerful story back in church history. It happened in the, in the year 252. There was a plague broke out in the Roman Empire, really called the Cyprian Plague. It's named after this church leader. And what happened is the, just before that, year, several few years before that, Cyprian was the uh, head of the church in Carthage. Carthage was a city of about a half million people, one of the largest cities in the Roman Empire. And just before that, there was a, a Roman emperor named Decian who had released a, a persecution on the church. And it was particularly vicious in Carthage. And what would happen back then if you were a person in Carthage, you could turn in Christians and they would take their wealth, they would take all their property, and you would get some of it for ratting them out. And those Christians would not only have all their possessions taken from them, many of them were martyred, many of them were cruelly tortured in games and all kinds of things. And they, the Christian church in Carthage went through incredible sufferings, being betrayed by their neighbors for, to, to take their wealth and take their money. And then this persecution ended, and, and again, uh, uh, Cyprian rallied the church, and it was growing, and it was doing great things. Then a plague breaks out. 252, a plague breaks out. There were up to 5,000 people dying in the Roman Empire every day during the Cyprian plague. And Cyprian got the church together in the city of Carthage, in the very center of the town, and he said, I, in, in Christ's name, these people have done this to us, They've hurt us. They've rejected us. But we are going to serve them. We are going to feed them first. And then we're going to feed ourselves. We are going to serve them first. And then we are going to serve themselves. And like an army, the church in Carthage went out and served that community that had betrayed them, that had persecuted them, that had spurred them, and sold them out. And they served them. They fed them. They prayed for the sick. And what happened, it unleashed a revival in that community and across the Roman Empire that literally was a catalyst to Rome becoming a Christian nation. By the time, in the, in the early 300s, when Constantine declared Rome, it was absolutely overcome by believers. And it was that act of courage and that act of generosity and that act of faith was a catalyst to the Roman Empire a turning around and coming to Christ. We in our age need to have the same spirit and the same soul, to have a spirit of faith, to have a spirit of a heart for God and a heart for people that we're willing to give to them. We love them. We want to be generous to them, and we want to serve them and serve our world. Let it be so. Let it be so. Be content. In whatever circumstance you're in, there is something more powerful, far more powerful, happening within you because Christ lives within you and he strengthens you and he empowers you than what's going on around you. Be a partner with God in your giving. Partner with him in giving. 
Make a difference. Invest your life and your resources in eternity. And what that does to God, not only is it a, is it's not the gift, it's the heart. The heart behind it, the, the way it touched Paul, he says, you know, it touches me, but it touches God in such a deep and extraordinary way. Let's, let's do that together. Let's pray as we close. Heavenly Father, we welcome, Lord, the Holy Spirit to do a work in our lives. To one, make us powerful and strong within. That Christ would be strengthening us. And we would know we can do all this through Christ who strengthens us. We would discover a treasure in our earthen vessels. Your powerful presence within us, willing and working God's great desires. And then, Lord, I pray that you would also unite our hearts to be generous, to have a heart for you, a heart for people, and a heart for generosity that would elevate and exalt and honor the greatness, the extraordinary, unmatched greatness of Jesus Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Classic City Church. We hope that together we can honor the greatness of Jesus by growing spiritually, living authentically, and participating in His purposes. For more information or more sermons from Classic City Church, please visit www.classiccity.org.